This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are all alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfect with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails like the ones that you'll find in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore na. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and thisfamilytree10. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 118. Woo! Big number, big day, big episode. Big episode, and folks, I know I say it every week that you are going to love the episode, love the interview, and it's only because I mean it. I really do think so, and today we have Erica Josa. She's a mom therapist. She is a mom, and she's also a mom therapist by career. You might recognize her as Happy as a Mother on Instagram, where she is, she's got a huge following. Define huge following, Alex. Like three and a quarter. I don't know, three and three quarters. Three and a quarter. (laughs) Like that means what? 300 and something thousand. Okay, I get it. All right. She's big, bigger than us. Yeah. I can take a hint. (laughs) But we talk about boundaries, what it's like to set them, what it's like to honor those boundaries. We talk about postpartum rage, about, you know, possibly those moments where you might resent the role as a parent that you have. Been there, done that. (laughs) Who? No, but honestly, we all have, right? And it's it's just something we go through. And as a therapist, she has a lot of great information to offer us on that. So it's a great conversation. You guys will love it. I loved having it. And I kind of feel selfish in these conversations because I just I get to pick the brains with all my personal questions. But she was great. <laughs> pick the brains. Anyway, I like that. Shane. Yes. We got a lovely little cocktail here. And I want to say cheers. What is it's this? Saturday it's, it night. It smells good. I know. Well, it smells good, but it is a classic that we go through a lot. Uh, we're doing the non-alcoholic Seedlip Garden 108 and Cucumber Tonic cocktail. Oh, it smelled like there was something more. Not that this isn't great. <laughs> I just thought you were putting in a little extra effort tonight, which you're not, because it's just mixing two ingredients, which yeah. is fine and great. Bedtime took like an hour and a half tonight. There was there was no effort, and that's the nice thing about these kind of cocktails. Yeah, it's one of those days where it's like I'm looking forward to the podcast because everything else is bothering me because I have cyanitis. Is that how you say it? I I don't know. Sinusitis? Cyanitis? Yeah, I have a thing where your sinuses are bothering you 24-7 and it's constant pressure. And I'm looking to distract myself from that pain. And this is actually doing it. Is it? Yeah, I'm tricking myself like I'm having a good time and (laughs) it's working. They... I read somewhere that if you pretend, like if you're not having a good day, but you smile, mm-hmm. it can trick your brain into thinking you're happy. Mm-hmm. I feel happy right now. Have you ever done that? Trick, like try doing that? Because yes, I, I always, yeah, I love it. But does do you find that it actually does work for you? Because, you know, I, I always love 
saying that because it really works for me. But does that actually work for you? I find it does. Yeah. Shane, there's a few things I produce. I'm producing this episode. I'm coming up with the questions off the top. I love when you do. You're very good at it. But we're going to roll with it tonight. And uh, I'm going to see what you got. I'm a little bit nervous. But first, I want to talk about weaponized incompetence. We did a couple TikToks on it in the past couple weeks. I've seen this being discussed on a larger scale on TikTok and on Instagram. And weaponized incompetence essentially being when you or somebody in a relationship pretends not to know how to do something so that the other person essentially doesn't ask them to ever do it. And I was wondering, because we, everybody, I think, there's something that they don't like to do, right? And in our relationship, what do you like, or like household, I guess, what do you like to do the least? Because for me, my weaponized incompetence comes, I think, most obviously in pop cans or cans of any sort. I hate opening pop cans. I always break my nails or my nail polish or something on them. So anytime I have a can, I ask you to do it. But I say, Sheen, I can't open this. Can you open it for me? And I put on like a helpless voice and then you open it for me and I I am grateful for it. Sure. Yeah, that's one thing you do. But you also don't take out the garbage ever. No, you're the big strong man. Well, does it take a big strong man to break down a pizza box to make it perfectly flat or maybe break down the box that the cans of pop come in or the cans of bubbly water? Um, I have been doing that for like the last several months. I wouldn't say that. I'd say maybe you did it once. <laughs> no, I do it. I do it all the time. I do okay. it all the time. Anytime okay. I put a box away, I do that now because... That feels like a weaponized exaggeration. I'm not sure it, if that's a thing, but that's what I feel like is happening. It is not. For the first, I'd say, what, how long have we been together? I don't know. feels like an eternity. Get out of here. Start <laughs> smiling. Start doing that happiness smiling. It feels like an eternity. <laughs> but I think for the first, if we've been together six and a half years, that might be it. Um, for the first six years, I didn't do it. But now, for the last half of a year, I have been. And I can't believe you haven't noticed that. Well, Alex, keep in mind, I take out the recycling. Mm -hmm. So every week, a part of doing the recycling is reaching into the recycling and breaking down all the boxes that's in there so more things can actually fit in there. So you haven't been doing it. I have. I blame. I'm blaming Nona. I'm blaming Roseanne for this. Okay. Because I do it. I do it. I, I break down everything now. Okay, but for me, what do I weaponize my incompetence? I'm I'm generally an incompetent person. I don't <laughs> I don't know how to I genuinely don't know how to do a lot of things, so I say, "Oh, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to work a washing machine, really." I'm sure I could figure it out. <laughs> like there's YouTube, but Well, I I got to say on that too, we had a washing machine run through today. And you did a load of laundry and a dry perfectly. Yeah, you coached me through it though. Well, that's what you got to do for like, you know, in the learning phase. I know. I'm just saying that's one thing that I would come to you and say, I don't know how to Mm -hmm. do this. And you might be like, I don't have time to show you. And it (laughs) might take me five times of asking you how to do it because I'm worried I'm doing the load wrong or I don't want to ruin your clothes or put a cycle in that's too hard. Like, I just don't want to make a mistake. (laughs) Why? And the the pressure from the mistakes, because I know like you never did house stuff when you were a kid and like you didn't want to make a mistake there my mom wouldn't let me do it i wanted to do stuff my parents also wouldn't teach me how to drive or 
do things. Like, yeah, but you lived alone. You lived alone. You mean like, I lived alone? Well, like you had your own condo. You like had a sweet condo in Toronto. I when I was a kid. No, 16. I know, but like I mean, like doing laundry as an adult. So yeah, you- I knew how to work that washing machine. I'm not saying I don't know how to do laundry. I'm, I'm saying here I don't know how to do it. That's fair. I knew how to do it when I lived alone. I was forced to do it. And the first time I ever did a load by myself of laundry was <laughs> was when I was 30. Because I don't I always had a girlfriend who liked helping me out. Or my mom. It's like when I didn't know my mom, I had a girlfriend. It's true. It's probably sad but true, but it's true. I'm being vulnerable right now. <laughs> I appreciate the vulnerability. But uh moving on. So, Shane, I've been like oddly obsessed, as you know, because I've been talking about it, with getting this specific perfume that I've never even smelled before. I just know I want it. I'm like dying to have it. I'm not even a perfume wearer. You tried the other day and it was really making me uncomfortable. <laughs> just because it's not you. You're trying to force yourself into liking something because it's trendy. No. And you're a trend hopper like we all are. Okay. This perfume though like it, it, i i was in shoppers and i'm like hmm, i wonder what this one smells like and i put it on didn't like it but it was too late because it was already all over me but the one that i want it smells like essential oils which is like kind how of do what you we, know you've never smelled it well i've read reviews yeah, and that's you're the getting point caught in a hype machine i don't know i want to smell like sandalwood i want to smell like this perfume it's santal 33 by lalabo and apparently it's just a really nice like natural woodsy smell and think about like all of our deodorants all that it's all like essential oil type stuff right mm-hmm. so i don't think it'd be that big of a hop you're not a scent person though why start now it's like i don't know if like ties were in i wouldn't <laughs> like i don't even know how to tie a tie i don't think <laughs> i'd get into ties if that became the new rage see i don't know how to tie a tie either so the weaponized incompetence there i don't know where we'd go for a solution but uh, speaking of solution are you going to get the I'm, I'm gonna get you are? How the much sample is sizes how much is it so the actual perfume is like 300 dollars. it's crazy but sephora sells a like a knockoff like a dupe but it's really good still la maison i don't know what it's called right now but you can get the sample sizes which for somebody like me would last a long time for like i don't know five samples for 35 bucks it's not you you're not a scent person i'm telling you no, it's it's a gender neutral perfume chain. Essentially, we could both wear it and both smell good. It's very embarrassing. I've had times where I've been wearing cologne and someone said, "Are you wearing cologne?" And it's never in a way like, <laughs> "Are you are you wearing cologne?" It's always in a call out tone. Like, "Wait, are you wearing cologne?" And then I'm the person who has to leave because some sp- person has a sensitive nose and they don't <laughs> like it. I'm not worried about people liking cologne or my scent. I'm worried about people hating it. So if 90% of the room is in love with me and my scent, I'm not thinking about them. It's the one person who's going to publicly humiliate me. See, the only reason that this even kind of entrenched itself in my thoughts this week was because I read an article about how good Rihanna smells. And everyone's like, oh, she smells amazing. All these celebs are sitting in interviews talking about how good she smells. And I'm like... What, like, is this a thing that people notice? Like you said, I'm not a scent person. I don't wear stuff. I wear sandalwood smelly deodorant and that's it. No one's going to have the guts to tell Rihanna that she doesn't smell good though. So so she's never going to be in an awkward position like that. But then why would they go out of the way to like say how good she smells? Because it's Rihanna. She's in good standing (laughs) with the press. 
can't be saying stinky woman. <laughs> it's the coolest woman in the world. Like Rihanna could also make anything look good because she looks great all the time. If somebody who doesn't look great all the time wears it, it doesn't mean they look great. It's true. It's true. But she also smelled when I was trying to look up because I was like, well, what does she wear? Like, what is the thing? And apparently it's um, Love Don't Be Shy by Killian. And I was like looking at reviews and apparently like how would you think Rihanna would smell? Like what? Because she's kind of badass, right? She's edgy. So what perfume, like if you would just assume that she smelled good, what do you think she'd smell like? I've never thought about what a woman smells like <laughs> ever. I never have. Never will. I've never thought about what a man smells like anything. Well, now you have the opportunity. Think about it. I don't. My brain can't go there. I don't have thoughts like that. It's like, you know how I, I don't have any sense of direction? Yeah. I don't have any sense of even thinking of what a person may smell like. <laughs> of this on a regular basis either i don't want people to think i'm a creep looking at them across the room thinking about what they smell like no wait smoked beans <laughs> i don't even know i just threw a scent out there so apparently it's just like it smells like marshmallows and cotton candy and it's a really overly sweet scent and apparently it's great like if you're just kind of walking by but it just the idea of it reminds me of those you know, those scents that uh, like high school kids buy, you know, for five bucks. And it just, that's all you smell at once. It's in your nose all day. You can't get it out. And then everything else smells like this, you know, wildly overwhelming marshmallow. Yeah. Some things are good in a small sample. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it made me feel bad about my lack of scent, which is why I got on the whole scent train. Shane's just looking at me. I don't know. How, <laughs> how much longer do you want me to talk about it? I'll talk about it. I'm getting off the topic, but I was uh, I was finishing it and expecting something from you, Shane, whether it was a laugh or a, well, Alex, I say don't go for it. Well, I, leave, I leave the opening. If there's a long, awkward pause, you just jump in there. <laughs> All right, Shane, what is the most pretentious thing about yourself? Um, most pretentious? Maybe my taste in movies or comedy or something i don't know anything you think you're good at i think you tend to be a little bit pretentious about it like for you what are, what are you good at like i think it would be like travel related yes oh uh, the way you pronounce things and i know it's the proper way to do it but today we were at a <laughs> like i don't know a greek place and you were really loving the melody of the way what did i say i said spanakopita you were it, you did say spanakopita but you were like you were all of a sudden like Alaria pronouncing it. Yeah. <laughs> I was not. You were loving it. I was not. That's a lie. What was the other thing? You got a spanakopita and a other thing. There was two things that you Baklava? loved. Baklava? I don't even know if I pronounced no, them correctly. Was, you didn't. So you were like, I'll have a spanakopita. And you were really letting it roll off your tongue. And then the woman reset it, I noticed. But she said it a little bit like to correct you. I, I wasn't being melodic. Alex, you're so offended right now, which it also is a sign that I've pinned you down and got you <laughs> like and I'm correct. You're giving me the eyes of like, don't Because I talk feel like you're this. making this up for uh, the bod. I'm making it up. I didn't know we were going to talk about Spanakopala. <laughs> you think this is my grandmaster plan to talk about spinach and cream cheese in a delicious. Feta. Like, what's that? Feta and spinach wrapped in a pastry. Filo pastry. Philo. Another thing I don't know how to pronounce. Yeah. 
but I would say you're, it can come across a little pretentious, but it's not. It's proper. And when we are trying to say words in other languages, we should try to respect the way they should be pronounced, right? I agree. It can come across a little pretentious or showy well, or something. There you go. I, I called it my, my most pretentious quality, I guess, is that and also maybe liking like a, a certain type of book or literature or something like that. I find myself getting a little nose up in the air which is super uncool but is there anything else you can note that i'm pretentious about directors for sure like you mentioned movies but i think like directors because you know you'll mention a director i'll be like who did that again you're like alex come on he did this 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 and this and i'm like well, shane your brain is good at that mine is not it's quentin tarantino no, alex it's, get out of here <laughs> or pt anderson pt anderson shane i didn't know i i had seen a movie or two of his before I met you, but not his whole canon. You showed me everything and you got me into P.T. Anderson. Wait, you saw P.T. Anderson's canon? <laughs> it's funny. That's one of those terms when people say canon. I don't really know what it means. It's like the breadth of the work. Is that what it means? Mm-hmm. Oh, because sometimes people will be like talking and they'll say something. Like if they'll be talking about Spider-Man and they'll, they'll be like, is this canon? It's like, yes, that's canon. No, no, no. Cause, okay, so breadth of the work is the wrong way to describe. So it's like if that is... A universal truth a, within the yeah, world? Yeah, yeah, So like you know how when you are writing a show, right? There's yeah. like a show Bible? Yes. That would be the thing. Where it's like you always revert to it. Because yes. maybe in some Spider-Mans, that's actually a really good way to do it. In some Spider-Mans, um, like different things could happen. Maybe, you know... Uncle Polly, what's his uncle's name? I don't know. Maybe don't know. he dies in one, but then he stays alive in another. Then I think what you have to go with one ending, which is the way the story is. I see what you mean. I get it now. Thank you. Right? Yep. Th- I think that's what you mean. Yeah. It, like certain stories will deviate, but there's a certain like heart of Spider-Man that cannot deviate. And mm-hmm. that's considered canon or like a universal truth about the story. Yeah. And like Shakespeare, right? He's considered canon, like his works to English literature, right? Because it is so fundamental to our understanding of literature and plays and poetry and everything like that. Yeah. I don't actually know if I know, but I think I'm on the way to knowing well, now I, I, don't, I, know. I don't know if I know either okay. now after this conversation. I'm, I'm totally doubting myself and uh, I'm going to have to look into this. But at least there's no awkward pauses and we're talking. <laughs> okay, we're next. not mad at each other. <laughs> next question. See, I got to say on that note, it does feel so good to pod because you and I haven't sat down in a bit to pod because after, you know, we miss some weeks at Christmas and after Christmas is a little bit spotty and we haven't had the opportunity to sit down and just have a really good riff. And it does feel so good to be able to do that. Do I acknowledge the way you said good or no? (laughs) (laughs) Having a good riff or good rip? It's very Canadian to say having a rip. Okay, speaking of rips, my next topic. Oh, farting. Yes. Of course. What do you mean? What? That's a good clue, the lead to farts. Yeah, okay. So anyway... There's a Louisville meteorologist. His name is Mark Weinberg, and he is currently going viral for letting it rip in the middle of the weather. Can I play this for you? Yeah. Okay. Like he does it constantly or just the one time? <laughs> it's just one really obvious okay, one. Okay, that's fair. But he pauses before he does it's it. probably he, fake. Well, you can tell he's trying to hold it in. It's probably fake. And then he does it. Watch. Hold on. 
that's something I'm pretentious about spotting when something's obviously like a fake prank. Why would he pretend to fart? No, the edit is making it seem like he's farting, but he's not. All this air is. It's eight in Des Moines, Iowa. The temperature drop. All this air is. It's eight. I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't think it's real. But he kind of does a little dance when he does it to make it look like he twists his foot on the ground or something. And maybe that's where the noise was coming from. He casts doubt in your mind as to whether or not he did it. But there's a lot of clips online where there's moments that people think are awkward. So they Mm -hmm. insert a fart into the awkward pause or moment. Well, regardless, what has been your most awkward fart? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I've probably had so many. I'm trying to think of one that stands out. You go first and I'll see if it, you know, lights up. Okay, so I have, I have two. I have one actual fart and then one moment in my brain that kind of scarred me. It hasn't left me. I will have nightmares about it to this day. I was in fourth grade and it was French class. We wrote these stories in French like they were like adventure stories and we had to translate them into English Mm -hmm. and French and read both versions in front of the class. Mine was about building a fort. I was really proud of my story and then I said, and we were building a fart. And I just said that with so much, you know, the confidence of a fourth grader. Everybody in the class just started to howl and just laughing, right? It's like when you say orgasm instead of organism in high school and everybody thinks it's funny. But I said fart instead of fort. Whole class was going crazy. Teacher even let out a little, you know, a little smirk. Oh, I thought you were going to say let out a fart in (laughs) honor of it. And then I pretended to laugh along, but I was humiliated, humiliated. That my proud, awesome presentation was ruined by an unintentional fart joke. Truly have bad dreams about it still. And the other one was was probably the first time I ever farted in front of a boyfriend or a guy at all. And it was, you know. Was my, I the boyfriend or guy? No, it was uh, my my high school boyfriend. And I was really sick. Like I had a really bad flu or cold or something. And I hadn't gotten out of bed in a couple of days and he came to visit me and, you know, see if I was okay. So we were laying there. I wasn't feeling good and he made me laugh. And then I was laughing so hard that I let out the most powerful, it sounded like a balloon popping, but it was just a really powerful, loud, aggressive, yes. like. <laughs> Did it smell? It was just a noise. It was more noise. It was all noise. And I, the second it happened, I didn't know what to do. I totally froze up. And then I started bawling. I started sobbing, crying my eyes out. And he's dying with laughter. He can't believe that I farted. And then he couldn't believe that I was crying. He was super confused about it. Oh, he didn't know you well then at the time. (laughs) No. I was literally hiding my head underneath my blankets and i didn't want to see him because i was so embarrassed but it was good because it holds in the smell too (laughs) but then you've created a uh, what's that called a dutch oven yes (laughs) (laughs) no there wasn't a smell and i would have known because i had dutch oven myself but sometimes you can't smell your own shane i can smell my own oh sorry sometimes i can't (laughs) sometimes i can't smell how bad it is well because you're used to it i guess right that's the thing yeah 
But even you, <laughs> but even you know when you've done a bad one. Yeah, but when I can kind of smell it, but I truly don't know how bad it is. And sometimes I'm under the delusion or illusion that other people maybe can't smell it. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I wonder how far this is traveling because it's not that bad for me. And then it'll be like, what the fuck? You, <laughs> you know. <laughs> No, but that was honestly, it was the worst because it broke that ice for me for farting. Because I told myself, I was like, this is something I want to keep out of relationships. I never want this to happen. And it happened. I was sobbing. And it. he actually had to like talk me out of it and be like, Alex, like, it's totally okay. You don't need to be upset. But he had to be quite delicate with me mm -hmm. because I was really emotionally affected by it, which is ridiculous. What but. age are you here? I know you're in high school, but. Probably 17 or 18. Wow. Yeah. So like 11 or 12 there. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. That was embarrassing. How many have you done in front of me? Not many. Mm. Not many. And all by accident, obviously. But You haven't had any where you're like, this is kind of going to be a silencer. And <laughs> it, I, it feels like it's not going to, like you've never done one of those. No, I do that with burps a lot though. Oh, with burps. Where I'm like, okay, like this is going to be a tiny little burp. It won't even make a noise. It's not going to have a smell. And then Shane's like, Alex, what did you eat? Yeah, you're fine with uh, farts, but with burps, it's like something's wrong with your body. <laughs> like the what you produce. It's not right. I don't know why the throat is so harsh you for you. You know what it is? It's whenever we eat uh, dill, anything that's really dilly, it really screws my tummy. And I've noticed that in the past year. No, it's everything. I'm telling you it's everything. <laughs> dill will actually make you throw up. Yeah. But with everything, something is like, yeah, mm -hmm. we need to get that checked out. And just, you know, since we're on the dill, did you notice we had, you know, our favorite pizza, my pie last night. We did not do the dill one, and I did not throw up, and I stuffed my face with pizza, yet I will have less than I ate last night. But what did you do this morning? Oh, I did throw up. Throwed up out where? Oh, yeah. Oh, I wasn't going to say that. Yeah. Okay. I had some- uh, Diarrhea, some plop, plop. <laughs> we can say diarrhea, plop, plop. Yeah, it's some tummy issues. But uh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. What, your, was there a question for me? Your was most embarrassing to- most embarrassing to, to yeah it, it was probably a laughing thing and then i pretend it doesn't happen or, <laughs> but it's the worst when you pretend it doesn't happen and then the other person wants to pretend it doesn't either but then the smell comes out and then both people are locked in the acting of pretending it didn't happen so i've been i feel like i've been in situations where we've done that but then the smell crept in in such a large way mm. that we both start laughing. <laughs> well, that's never a fun thing for either person to discover, mm -hmm. right? Just it's have awful. You, have you ever done an elevator one and then people walk No, in? no. I feel like I have. No, I would rather pass out from clenching my butt cheeks so hard <laughs> <laughs> than let one rip in an elevator. Okay, what's your next question? <laughs> <laughs> but shane this has been a blast thank you for indulging my produce mm -hmm. topics what do you, you rate always them? have unintentional puns eh? what do you what do you rate them out of a 10 your farts or what <laughs> my topics you ding oh, dong 10 out of 10 
Thank you. Good job. Thank you. But folks, we are going to go right to our interview with Erica Josa. Again, this is a great one. She is so full of knowledge and I really hope you enjoy. But before we go to that interview. Let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best bras that you are getting your boobs into. I say that all the time. People don't believe me. I say, (laughs) you don't believe me? Ask Alex. It's true. And it's not just me that thinks that, guys. They've got like 30,000 reviews on well.ca. And I just said I think that, so. It's true. But they've got like a 4.8 rating. With that many reviews, how is that even possible Unless they were just the best bras that you can get. And you might be thinking, why not a perfect five? No one gets a perfect five because there's always trolls there that try to ruin everything. But that is a ridiculous, almost perfect rating. This day and age, let's just say 4.8 out of five is perfect. It's amazing. And they make nursing bras, obviously. And that's how you probably know them. That's how I got acquainted with them. But they do have an everyday collection now. So these are bras without clips. They're not just for nursing mothers. They're for anybody with boobs. What about Thursday? Can you wear them? Thursday? It really isn't every day if the answer is yes. <laughs> just to help you out there. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going Thursday. with that. I like it. But you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com and you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code ThisFamilyTree20 to get 20% off your entire purchase. Again, that's bravadodesigns.com and ThisFamilyTree20. But we are also supported by Mini Mini Miosh. A premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Would you say it's our favorite clothing company in the entire world? It is our favorite clothing company in the entire world. A simple yes would have sufficed, but continue. (laughs) Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make, as Shane has already said, the best basics for your littles, like fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and absolutely timeless, and they can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low-impact non-toxic dyes. And locally, if you live locally to Toronto... I suppose. Exactly. It's not locally if you're in Alaska right now. No, but you can order online and you absolutely should because you're supporting a small family run business who like truly focuses on quality, which is a hard thing nowadays to actually find. But Mini Miyash is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. You can find them online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. And now let's get to our interview with Erica. How you doing? Look at this setup. It's a whole situation. I know. <laughs> if you I can, know. I'm currently, I had to escape the family who's downstairs where I normally record. So I'm up in my room and there's just so much going on up here. It's it's ridiculous. So I'm like uh, this with like young kids, this is such a hard time to record. I feel like you must be like juggling all the things. Oh, we will be talking about that, Erica. I just got mm. off work. I've been working since 8 a.m. And now getting into job number two which is super enjoyable but it's it's so hard. a lot <laughs> I know. it's a lot and the time change is like rocking me too I don't know why I feel like this is just aging but 
<laughs> like, are you experiencing with children too? Like, yeah, they're like all wonky and I just feel like disoriented. Like I'm having a hard time, like anchoring myself in the day, like what time I'm at and stuff. It's just a little disorienting. I but. know. I know. But all that aside, Erica, I am so happy that we were able to work something out and I was able to get you on this family tree podcast because Me too. Well, what, like three weeks ago now? I don't know. We went out. I've talked about it a bunch on this. Shane and I broke down the night, the weekend after it happened. But we went out and we had such a blast at Mom Fest dinner. So we fun. were like the little dinner group date beforehand and then went out to what turned out to be like an awesome party, essentially. Yeah. But I met you there, had a great time, connected with everybody in our little dinner date. And you are so good at what you do. And I've really been consuming everything that you've been putting out, all your content since then, especially. And it's awesome. It is awesome. Thank you. Yes, you are so good. So much good advice. And I'm going through it right now, Erica. So yeah. it's it's been very helpful. But what exactly is your title and how did you get into this field? Yeah. So I am a registered psychotherapist and I've specialized in working with couples and since becoming a mom more recently, maternal mental health and working with mothers and new parents. But all of that sort of, I squish it into just calling myself a mom therapist. Like I'm just a therapist for moms, kind of regardless of what, what stage you're in. Um, I had been in the mental health field for 10 years before I got pregnant with my first, uh, working with children, working with families, couples, and got pregnant and went through, um, had three children back to back. So I had three, three and under, not all planned, just kind of like how the timeline happened. And it totally rocked my world. <laughs> I, I ended up experiencing some pretty like you know, moderate postpartum anxiety and depression. And um, after my third specifically, cause just like all the compounding chaos of three back to back. And I was really surprised by that. I didn't expect that. I was also a therapist teaching people how to mm-hmm. manage like these like anxiety, mood disorders, things like that. So it really took me back and caused me to research and dive into maternal mental health, which is what birth this, this whole platform essentially was my own undoing of sorts, you know? Yeah. And had you had experience with, you know, your own mental health prior to then? I would say that in retrospect now realizing, so I went through a really dark time and I actually went on some medication for my postpartum depression after my third. And when I got the proper treatment at that time, I could see in retrospect how there were pieces of this all throughout my life, but you just kind of soldier on. You don't Mm. really know what is anxiety. You don't really know what is depression. If that is your baseline, that's your baseline. You don't know any different than that. Right. So when I got, um, treatment after my third, I was like, wait a minute, my baseline has been like sloth mode, like no (laughs) motivation, no energy. And this is what people like typically feel like they they can get up and get dressed in the morning and not have to like pep talk themselves Mm -hmm. for, you know, a few minutes to do that or whatever. Um, and it was really sort of like mind opening and this like 
in around this time after like I went through my own healing and treatment and stuff, I really niched down into working with moms and the whole platform came out of this. So like this breaking point in my own life, mm. which has been really healing. Yeah. yeah. I find that so often with women who share online and have some kind of platform online, they see that there was a need for whatever voice it was on whatever issue. And then they go and fill that gap and try to be a voice in that. And, you know, like that's how I started. I know that's how, how you started. I, I've had other women on here and I love that I don't know if it is the nature of people in general, the nature of women, the nature of mothers to say, holy shit, I just learned something and I have am learning in the process of learning how to help myself, but I now want to help others as well. Do you find that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it's how we make meaning out of our hardships, right? It's how we change the story from like, this is something that happened to me to, you know, I can take this and make it a meaningful experience instead of something negative that has happened. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's where a lot of passion or, you know, innovations or different, different platforms are built out of businesses of all kinds. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I need you to help me clear something up. What is the difference exactly between a psychotherapist and a psychologist? It's a really good question. So a psychotherapist often has a master's level degree and a psychologist has a PhD degree. And the difference being that um, you're going to go see a psychologist, usually if you want a diagnosis, if you're looking for reports, assessments, something written, you know, some sort of like learning assessment or, or diagnosis, whereas psychotherapists and master's level therapists usually are the ones who do the treatment. So they don't diagnose and they usually work with clients. Okay. So just, I have, I have a few questions about this just because through my own experience in the past few weeks. So I saw a therapist for postpartum rage. Um, I was like, didn't I never said the words postpartum rage, but I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, maybe this is it. And then halfway, yeah. not even halfway through the session, she goes, Alex, have you heard about postpartum rage? And then we started the conversation about that because I am experiencing that and it is so life altering in mm-hmm. different ways, especially because it's not something that I was ever comfortable with or it's not, it's not the comfortable with, but something that I've ever experienced really. Um mm-hmm. But it's been interesting. So I, I I went to one therapy session. It was virtual. So how do we find the right therapist? How do we know? Because it costs money, right? Yeah. It cost me $140 for one appointment. And at the end of the appointment, I was like, okay, that was nice. But I, I knew I wasn't going to go back to her. So I was like, do I have to keep starting over with so many therapists and keep shelling out the dough? You know what I mean? Yeah. Until you find the right fit. Yeah. There's a couple of different ways. Yeah. So, well, it depends. So if you're in Canada, I actually have a postpartum wellness center Mm -hmm. and I have clients all across Canada and that's happyasamother.co slash wellness. But it really depends on your benefits coverage. This is where Mm. like private care, and it depends on if you're in the States and if you're in Canada, um, the systems are different. But in the States, it's more like you're referred via like your insurance. And here it is more your insurance coverage, your benefits coverage will allot an amount for either a psychologist, Mm -hmm. a social worker, a psychotherapist, 
or like, you know, something within those designations in BC, it's like clinical counselor or whatever. And so you want to first start with your benefits coverage and understand what your coverage is. And then if you're looking for postpartum care, um, the best international directory to go to is postpartum.net. And they have a directory of like mom therapists, therapists who are specialized in working with moms. And so before you start with that person, you want to verify what their title is Mm -hmm. and match that to what your benefits coverage covers so that you're not out of pocket and then realize, oh shoot, I really liked this person, but I actually can't afford to work with them. Right. Right. And are any uh, psychotherapists allowed to like tell me what to do? Like the tough love kind of thing? Are they allowed to do that? They're not going to like make your decisions for you, Damn it! but they will be like, Alex, like, come on now. We (laughs) talked about this and you will, you will find. So like my whole clinic is teletherapy based and all of my therapists hold a free 15 minute consult at the beginning to make sure that you are a right fit because fit is something that is so subjective to the person and what I might need from a therapist and what you might need from a Mm -hmm. therapist are two different things. I'm totally one of those therapists. That's like, come on, you know, like, let's, (laughs) let's talk about this. Like you just said this and here we are doing this or whatever. And in a way that is not like going to make you feel guilty or make you feel bad, but in just like a really open way, once I have some rapport with you, right. Where others, that might make them feel really uncomfortable. So it's just totally subjective to the person. No, I, I think that's so good. And I think the trial is so important too. I, I didn't have that. And the therapist was lovely, so kind that I work with, yeah. but maybe too nice. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I think yeah. I, I wanted more of the, no, you're going, you're, you're doing the wrong here. Like you are in the wrong in this situation type thing. Yeah. Or something. And maybe it's a matter of like, building that rapport too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like having a comfort level and like, you know, once you have enough of a relationship with someone, they might be able to step into that role a little bit more. But uh, I think, I think the 15 minute trial is so good. And I think that perhaps more people will go back for a second session, mm-hmm. you know, ha- had that kind of option, that kind of searching a little bit you know, if that was available. I think I think that's amazing. And I, I'd like to touch on, you know, what I spoke about in therapy. That's something I've been speaking about a lot lately on this podcast and otherwise, and that's postpartum rage, mm-hmm. right? There is a lot that mothers are taking on, regardless of the stage in motherhood, whether you're a new mom, a veteran mom, your kids are, you know, one month, your kids are 10 years, 20 years. There is always so many things that weigh on you, the mental load, the fact that as good as society is now and as much as we're trying, there's still, it's unequal, the mm-hmm. the load of parenting and chores related to parenting that mothers take on, typically, mm-hmm. right? There's always outliers, mm-hmm. but typically. And the expectations placed on moms, whether you are stay at home, whether you're at work, you know, like work like you don't have kids and parent like you don't have a job, that kind of thing. That is so heavy. And, you know, being in the two years postpartum, which I am, my my youngest is a year and a half, I'm feeling all of those things. But then it's manifesting in this way that is so opposed to my character. And Mm -hmm. the more women I speak with, the more I realize that, oh, my God, so many moms are going through this. And it's nuts. How come 
how come we have to go through it? How come we're not figuring it out? And that's postpartum rage. And for me, it's not knowing how to, I guess, manage those feelings. And then they just bubble up in me like violently. And like, I don't always react outwardly. I rarely do. But Mm -hmm. it's just inside. It feels like I'm just bursting. Yeah. So where, where is this coming from? Is it a chemical thing? Is it coming from the pressures around us? Anger is actually something that has never really been talked about in relation to mo- like in relationship to motherhood mm-hmm. for uh, like a plethora of reasons. I feel like it was very sort of taboo to talk about. We never talked about resenting our role of motherhood because that meant like all of a sudden we didn't love our children or we chose <laughs> this. How can you complain? You know, there's been a lot of that over the years. So anger is something that's rarely been talked about, but there was actually a study that came out of UBC. I want to say it was like a year or two ago. It talking about how anger is one of the most overlooked symptoms when we're talking about identifying and catching like mood and anxiety disorders in the postpartum period. So one of the things, if somebody is coming into me, who is a client, who's talking about having um, a lot of rage, one of the first things I will probably do is screen for a mood disorder, low mood depression and, or situational stressors and changes going on in their life. Is there a move? Is somebody you know, are there big life changes happening? Are you transitioning from a maternity leave back into work? Mm-hmm. Like what situational factors are happening? So there is very much this like mood and anxiety piece, but then I feel like there's this, like, that's the individual sphere. And if we back out of that, and you and I had talked a little bit about this at our dinner mm-hmm. um, at mom fest is this larger societal piece. And it's actually been named and coined as intensive mothering. We're in this age of intensive mothering where the expectations of mothers are so high and so smothering that we, everywhere we look, we feel like we're failing and like we're doing it wrong. And we're looking to others to reassure that we're on the right track. And then we see that they're doing more than we are. And we're on this sort of like, hamster wheel. And so this lack of fulfillment or lack of enjoyment in motherhood really can breed feelings of powerlessness, being Mm -hmm. trapped, being in the same thing day in and day out. And that feeds into the rage and low mood as well. And what's okay. What's the difference between low mood and depression? So low mood would be like, I, all of these feelings are on like a continuum, mm-hmm. right? So I would say we can come in and out of low mood. We all have low days. You know, maybe we're PMSing and we notice for two or three days we just, you know, are irritable or that's totally me. Like I'm just will tell my hubby, like need some space, you know, yeah. <laughs> or we can be in more of like a, a moderate depression and how it's it's there's a fine line there it's not just like magically we're just there or there's some real exact moment that that happens because mm-hmm. it's sort of gradual but the difference in a low mood or what i would categorize as more like a a depression that needs to be treated is it's interfering with our life it's interfering with how we're caring for our children how we're caring for ourselves um maybe we're like not getting up and showering or doing hygiene stuff, or we're not brushing our teeth as much, or we're not cooking around the house and we're doing a lot of takeout and we're doing a lot of things that, uh, because it feels so hard to function in life. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
Definitely, definitely. And like, you know, I, I think about my days and then I try to think because the one thing that I really got out of that, the one therapy session I did was that, look, Alex, you're probably more stressed out than you think as a baseline. And that's why when one little thing happens, yeah. you feel that violent energy inside you, right? So yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, like today, my little one who's sneaking in the room over here wakes up at 4.30, Okay. Like four thirty. It's like Erica. Ungodly. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, do you want to say hi to Erica? Hi. Yeah, hi. Lucy, we gotta go. Yeah, honey, you gotta go downstairs, please. Hey, yeah, you Luke, gotta go. Mommy's working. Hey Luke, come on. Let's go eat a treat downstairs. I gotta I gotta treat something. Oh my goodness. A treat, Erica. This all is all no treats. look look you're getting you're getting exactly firsthand what what I'm about to talk to you about. <laughs> I totally get it. My kids are at daycare right now, but if they weren't, it would look like this. Yeah. So okay, so 4:30, right? Getting ready for work. Feeding the kid. I'm just going to go shut the door. Yeah. Getting her ready for daycare for work. She's had an ear a double ear infection since you know, for the last five days. So that's been its whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Go to work all day. So I start at 8, get out at 2.40. And that's hands-on teaching with mm-hmm. students, constant giving, giving, no break time. It's nuts. Get home, smothered by the kids for a half hour, which I appreciate, but still, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then once they're in bed at 6 or once we put them to bed, then – you know, we're doing other things for our other work. And then by nine o'clock, maybe Shane and I settle down for a little TV or something like that. And mm. then through this whole time, every time Lucy does something to delay the bedtime, in my body, I'm like, oh my God, don't you see? I need to go to sleep. I need to rest. And I'm like, how come she isn't getting this? And then, you know, if Shane does something normal, but that pisses me off, I'll have the same reaction. Like, oh, you turd. Like, How come you're not doing this when I wanted this? And it's so hard to manage. How would you tell women who are experiencing these sometimes resentment, not towards the kids, but I think more resentment towards the partner Mm -hmm. and then frustration towards the kids? How do we manage that? You are speaking my language right now. I actually (laughs) – I don't know if you know Psyched Mommy Asherina Reem on Instagram as well. We have just written a whole script on mom rage that we're filming in December because we have a workshop on this and like we eat, sleep, and breathe mom rage content and research and things. Love it. And there's so much, like, I think that every parent who's listening can totally feel those nights when bedtime is delayed and it's been a stressful day. And we're right now in the time change and everyone's been burnt out from eating Halloween candy. And Mm. it's just like, you just want a minute to yourself. And there's a couple different ways that we can lay it out or think about it. On one hand, I think about our capacity. And on the other hand, I think about boundaries and healthy boundary setting. And I feel like they, they kind of go hand in hand. If you think about your capacity in the day as being your battery, your charge for the day, right? Like, and by the time we wake up in the morning, I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning with the kids, it wasn't even fully recharged. I went to bed too late because I was up (laughs) working 
someone was up to pee at like three in the morning and then someone was up at like five or five 30 because of the time change. So really by the time you start your day as a parent, very rarely are we like at a full charge. Oh, I don't remember the last time. Right. And then we have to think about the things that draw on our capacity in the day and the things that add to them. Mm -hmm. Because when we were an individual solo person before kids, the things that pulled on our battery on our charge, we're all within our control. We were an individual person. We weren't tethered to anybody else, but now my capacity and my charge in the day is like directly tethered to my three kids and my partner, depending on what's going on. Right. So if somebody's sick, like, let's say I have a full day of interviews planned or you and I are going to meet or something. I actually had a a kid home sick yesterday. And I was like, am I going to have to clear my day tomorrow? my capacity and my to-do list is not necessarily within my control. Mm -hmm. So I think that when we can accept that, when we can realize, wait a minute, I have all of these things slotted and they're going to pull this much from my capacity, but I woke up at 50% today. Like I need Mm -hmm. to get realistic with myself right now. And that's where boundary setting comes in, right? Like, can I put the work down like half an hour earlier tonight, or can I not watch that episode of housewives? By the way, I'm, I'm into episode six of Vanderpump rules right now, or sorry, season six. I'm so glad it like rolls into the next one. And I'm like, no, I know Jax is an ass, but I just need to go to sleep. I can't get hooked for the next episode. Right. And that's a boundary with myself. That yeah. is a, I know I earned this time. I need this time, but I also, my body really needs sleep. We're fighting a cold in our house. Mm-hmm. And so boundaries protect our capacity. Right. Right. And so that's one of the best, like the most fundamental easy places that we can start. Mm-hmm. And you know, what about when the rage is directed to, and I, especially as uh, the wines went down, I know on that night at MomFest, I had a lot to say. I don't know if I spewed in your ear about the patriarchy, but I know I was on to it. <laughs> and I will say, for good reason, in my brain all day, that's all I'm thinking about. Every little thing that happens, I'm like, ah, the goddamn patriarchy. Because there's a million things in the day that make me feel like there's no winning against this and I mean this is there's so many facets facets to this but it's just a system that is so against mothers and the wellness of mothers and the wellness of women in general and mm-hmm. it's so infuriating and then I think that because my husband is a man sometimes my feelings about everything even like Shane is so helpful he's so great he's a part of this business he's an equal parent most of the time and it's like I, I feel that that rage I take out on him unfairly. Mm, and it and then it's mm-hmm. hard to control, you know, because I don't see what he's doing all day just like he doesn't see what I'm doing all day. And then yeah. we both feel like we're doing more and we vowed never to fight about this because we're both doing the same amount. Yet it creeps in to your psyche sometimes. And then maybe you don't say, hey, I, I did more today or I feel like I did more. But it's there. It's the underlying issue that's going to start a fight when a dish is left on the sink. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we go about managing when it comes to our partners, those feelings? 
Yeah. That rage that really comes out as like resentment or keeping score or blaming or this like tit for tat sort of thing. Rage towards our partner or resentment is, is usually, if not always an indication of an unmet need. So anytime something is coming out in a you statement, like you always do this, or you always get to do that. If I'm saying, I, I can so vividly remember when I was home on maternity leave with like my third child, all these freaking little humans <laughs> running around or crawling or like on my boob. And my husband's like in his suit going downtown on the train, like living yeah. his life, you know? And I'm just like, you know, you get to leave. You always get to, to leave. And my need there is I need some alone time. and even though he is an equal parent and even though we chose this and even though um, like we know why he's going downtown and he's providing for our family, his freedom was always a reminder of all my needs that were going unmet. Right. And so when we're talking about this, keeping score with our partner we're seeing them potentially, especially if we're a home on our maternity leave or we've got young kids that we're tethered to, we're seeing them getting their needs met mm-hmm. and we're not. And our partner is like our closest support system that like can help us get our needs mm-hmm. met. Right. So rather than it coming out in resentment, like you never clean or something, why don't we pause, tap into what the need really actually is. And say, oh, it really is making me so frustrated that you get alone time. I feel like I never get alone time. How can we make mm-hmm. that happen or something along those lines? And it, it's like everything, you know, coming back to me, communication, like every yeah. problem ever in the world, especially in relationships and in a family setting, coming down to communication. And I want to take that idea of communication into something else you said uh, that I know you've been speaking about lately, which is boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When to set them, how to set them. This is a tough thing. Boundaries are so hard. The first time I realized I needed boundaries was when I gave birth to my first kid. It was the next day. I am raw. I am have not pooped yet. Not feeling good. And my husband's uncle, who I barely knew, walked in drunk, sat on the end of my hospital bed. I had to move my feet for him. I just gave birth. And Mm -hmm. he just sat there for like, I don't know, an hour and was asking to hold the baby and everything. And then the second he left, I'm like, okay, things like this can never happen again. When we go home, you know, I don't want visitors other than family to to come in. And even when it comes to family, I'm going to be upstairs sleeping if it's your family. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And Mm -hmm. that felt really mean and I didn't want to be the one to say that to anybody because I didn't want Mm -hmm. to offend anybody but I I want to talk about the importance of setting boundaries for moms yeah boundaries are what protect us they're what keeps us safe they're what teaches people what they can and cannot get away with and how they can and cannot treat us recently I did a podcast episode, um, on my podcast about moms and mother-in-laws and setting (laughs) boundaries with them because they're often the hardest people in our lives to set boundaries with. We, we go through this weird transition of 
being in our family unit where our parents were the ones that set boundaries for us or not, depending on the structure of our family. And they set the tone for what these limits were going to be. Then we go out, start a relationship, have our own family. And now we're thrust into this uh, almost like parent-like position where we now have to set boundaries with our caregivers or our older, you know, elders in our family or whatever. And it's this weird role reversal Mm -hmm. that can feel very uncomfortable and that we maybe haven't had to face a whole lot before now, but necessary and very healthy. Um, One of the things that I think is so important to keep in mind when talking boundaries is we often will make a decision around a boundary with either only ourself in mind, only considering ourselves, or only considering the other person and completely bowing out and like letting our removing mm-hmm. ourselves from the situation. When it comes to boundary setting, the most successful and healthy boundaries are set when we're able to hold both of us in mind when making a decision. Um, how can we be tactful and approach a boundary in a assertive, tactful, healthy way, while also not people pleasing and bowing out and, you know, completely giving over to what other people want. All right, Erica, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor like ever. And I think that's what you really want in a monitor, right? To be the best Yes, to be the best, you want the Michael Jordan monitors. This is it. And the biggest difference that I felt in this monitor, you know, with Betty having this when she was a newborn over Lucy having whatever monitor she had when she was a newborn is that with Lou, I could never sleep properly because I was always staring at it, you know, to see the rise and fall of her chest. And I never got to, you know, do the sleep when the baby's sleeping type oh, thing. Oh, we just had a glorified walkie-talkie in there with Lou <laughs> and like binoculars. <laughs> but with the Miku, honestly, I actually, like Shane, you can speak to this. I actually got sleep. I was less of a, I don't know, a nocturnal owl mother i couldn't word it better than that (laughs) so i won't try one of my favorite things about this monitor as opposed to anyone that i've used before and any other smart monitor on the market right now is that it makes no contact with your kid because usually you know the monitor has to the baby has to put on a sock or wear a, Mm -hmm. a chest brace almost but they use sensor fusion technology and the sensor fusion then works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions plus Shane, crypto security. Yes, very important. Something I understand inside and out. All I know is that that means it can't be hacked. Sorry, hackers. Plus, the monitor offers HD video and photo and has amazing night vision. The speakers are also custom dual Ole Wolf, and there's a two-way microphone. So that means that Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, which are great, but you can talk to and comfort your baby, you know, from a different room when you're decompressing after a long day of parenting. It's the best and laziest way to parent. It's amazing. So head on over to MikuCare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE10 for 10% off. This is available in the U.S. only. And again, that is MikuCare.com and FamilyTree10. But we are also supported by... 
True Earth. <laughs> True Earth. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I are in the process of trying to reduce our environmental footprint. Take that out. We're not in the process. We we're are. always in the process. No, we're oh, doing that. Fine. We're always in the process fine. of we're it, in the Shane. process. Yeah, it's a lifelong journey. It is. It is. And it's, you know, doing one thing at a time. And the one thing that we have done and are loving is eliminating single-use plastics in our household. We've done that in our loving? In our household. Oh, and our loving. <laughs> yes, got you. We're so, keeping it clean with True Earth, and it's working. We are. We are. We discovered True Earth laundry detergent like six months ago now and haven't looked back. The detergent itself comes in these pre-measured soluble strips that you simply rip apart and put in your washer. It's so easy. Yeah, if it's a bigger load, use two strips. If it's a smaller load, use half a strip. It's pretty easy once you get the hang of it. Even I can do the laundry, as we discussed in this episode. I'm an incompetent person, but I can. <laughs> I figure it out. And Shane, you did a great job today. Thank you. Plus, the best part about, well, in my opinion, is that there's no plastic, right? Because other detergents, it's just, what's the word? It's wasteful. It's a graveyard. So it what is. Do you want me to say? <laughs> it is wasteful, but it, there's too much water. Like you don't need all that oh. water. Oh, you're paying for water. Yeah, you're paying for water, and, and then these bulky plastic jugs that just sit in your laundry room, taking up space. But because the packaging for True Earth strips are so compact, it has drastically changed the tidiness of our laundry room. Plus, as a family with kids who have super sensitive skin, we opt for the baby detergent because it's fragrance-free, gentle on everyone's skin, and super tough on dirt. Our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. Plus, you can get involved in a subscription service. We order like just whenever we're needing more, but you can get a subscription so you don't even have to think about it month to month. True Earth has got you covered from all sides. And if you want to check it out, go to true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 and you're going to get 10% off your order. You will love this product. Take my word for it. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get back to our interview with Erica. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's tough and I find that there's a lot of guilt associated with setting boundaries whether it's for my parents his parents whatever like with my parents so he grew up in the type of home where like we go to his parents house and we knock on the door and wait to get let in type thing at his mom's house when we go to my parents house we bust the door open and we're like we're here you know what i mean so it's a different like different ways that we were brought up yeah and then likewise when his parents come here, they knock and wait for us to come in. When my parents come here, they bust down the door and say, hey, we're here, which, you know, I'm comfortable with because they're my parents and that's how I live. But my husband's not necessarily comfortable with that. So yeah. I had to speak to my parents about that and say, hey, you have to let me know 15 minutes before you're going to pop by. Plus, they live two blocks away. So you mm-hmm. got to let me know before you pop by. And... When I told my mom, she goes, well, then you have to let me know before you're going to pop by. And then I was like, oh, and it felt like a stab in my heart. And I was like, "Like, are you are you getting petty with me? But then I was thinking about how she must have felt. And then I don't know if I approached it properly. So how, how do we approach setting boundaries with loved ones? I think that starting, there's a couple of things. Are we choosing the appropriate time and tone and, you know, situation to have this conversation? Are, are we cooled off? Is it not in a fight? Because we cannot keep both ourselves and the other person in mind if we are activated and angry and in our feelings. 
we are just in like winning mode, getting what we want mode. We're not able to hold both of us mode, right? Mm -hmm. So choosing the appropriate time to have the conversation to set the boundary. And two, going in like with an assertive boundary, but being really gentle about it. Like I really understand, you know, this is how we've been. And I really appreciate that you want to come visit. Would you give us a heads up? I could be walking around naked or, you know, my husband might be whatever. Can you just give us a heads up that you're going to drop by? Mm -hmm. And like softening that a little bit can be really helpful. And then there are times when people make boundary errors where they overstep a boundary unintentionally because they don't know that it's a boundary that we hold. And when we clean, like we clarify and we put it out there, Hey, this is a boundary. Actually, would you mind respecting this? If they back off, it's like, Oh shoot. I didn't know that's a boundary error. They're Mm -hmm. just trying to figure out how to navigate the situation with us. But then a lot of us struggle with someone in our life who is a boundary violator, who, even though we've clearly and concisely communicated the boundary, they still show up anyways, Mm -hmm. or they show up with like, your sister-in-law that you don't want over or these situations happen, which become more complicated and require like more intervention and more, Mm -hmm. more direct communication. If we've got like a constant boundary violator in our life. And what do we do Like, if there's a boundary violator, right? And that's obviously it's going to result in conflict of some kind, whether it's between you and your partner or you and your partner versus the boundary violator. I like that as a term, by the way, the boundary violator. It's badass. It puts them in the villain role for sure. But what do we do when conflict arises about that boundary? I think think one of the biggest pain points around setting boundaries for people is how they're going to be perceived and what conflict is going to come from it. Right. Which means that we are considering how the other person is going to feel and react more than how we feel and react having not set the boundary. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, we're only keeping the other person in mind. We're only thinking about their feelings. We're only thinking about their reactions. Meanwhile, if I don't set the boundary, how am I going to feel? How am I going to react? Am I going to be seething that, you know, this family member popped in when I'm like, you know, two weeks postpartum and still bleeding and my cracked nipples are out everywhere and I don't (laughs) want anybody around the house. And I'm, you know, like I have to deal with that now. And so I think that when we can realize what we stand to forfeit without Mm -hmm. setting boundaries, it lights a bit more of a fire under us or gives us Mm -hmm. a bit more courage to really hold that and say, I appreciate you want to come and visit, but we're just not taking visitors right now. Right. And you can parrot it and restate it and hold that boundary because you know what you stand to lose if you Mm -hmm. don't. And okay, so you sound like you got, Erica, like the way you go about talking about this, you sound like you are the perfect boundary setter. And I'm curious about your own experience with this. So you have three children, that's three opportunities to either set or not set boundaries and take care of yourself mentally or not. Was this something that came naturally to you or no? No, not at all. So I actually come from a high conflict custody and access assessment divorce, like very full of drama and conflict and legal battles Mm -hmm. and stuff like that growing up. 
Um, I would say there was a lot of like what I experienced as a kid, um, as trauma and early childhood, like adverse experiences in my early childhood that caused me to be really anxious and have trauma responses that were very perfectionist in nature, very people pleasing in nature. And I had to unlearn and heal like all, like so much of that and and parts of that are ingrained in my patterns today and I'm you know aware of that mm-hmm. um but boundaries were not something that was modeled in that environment at all and so boundaries are skills that we learn and we practice over time mm-hmm. just like so many other things related to our mental health right just like learning to regulate like our rage response, like these are skills that we're not taught emotion regulation. It's not a skill that most of us have been taught, but it's a skill that we can learn. And mm-hmm. I've just been, I've been in it. I've been in this content now for 10 or 15 years. So, oh, wow. Yeah, no. And I, I am so fascinated by, because you do speak from this, you know, now and through the content that you create and put out there with just so much knowledge and confidence. So I do look at you and think, okay, there's somebody who knows how to regulate. There's somebody who can boundary set. And then rationally, I know that everybody has their own path to figuring that out. And it's often a lifetime learning path. But, you know, what were you, what do you think your strength was, I guess, in regards to what you speak about? What of all the things that befall new mothers were you really good at naturally? And what was the toughest aspect for you? Because for me, by far, it's been emotional regulation. Yeah. So in regards to like adjusting to motherhood personally, Mm -hmm. you mean? Yeah. My, I think the thing that comes most naturally to me in sort of all areas and, and motherhood is no exception is that I am just beyond curious. I love to learn. I ask questions. My teachers probably hated it. Like I just, (laughs) you know, I love to learn. So when I do something, I kind of do it all in uh, for better or for worse sometimes. (laughs) Right. Um, So that was definitely something that I brought into motherhood. And the thing that I struggled with the most, I would say, and I'm actually writing a book proposal right now, writing a book about when like my perfect perfectionism and my ideals Mm -hmm. came crashing down with the reality. Like when, when those two things collided, the Mm -hmm. expectations I had for myself in motherhood, and then the reality of what it was to show up in this role every day, that was something I was not prepared for. Mm -hmm. And it really, it really rocked me to let go of that perfectionism. Mm-hmm. No, I hear that. I, and that's another thing we we discuss a lot, expectations versus reality, because they are, I was going to say so rarely the same, but so rarely to never the same. Yeah. yeah. And, and the bigger the gap in yeah. that, like the, the greater the adjustment period or the more distress we experience trying to reconcile that gap, right? Oh my God. The gap is always there, but for some, it might be like, a little bit off, right? Others, it might be like worlds apart. And that Mm -hmm. really is going to predict how we adjust Mm -hmm. in postpartum. And when you talk to women, like through your work and just through the community that you've created Happy as a Mother, what do you find they're struggling with the most? Because I know we've zeroed in on like rage and boundaries, but there's, you know, a plethora of issues, again, that, that new mothers face. 
I think when we're talking adjustment to motherhood and parenthood, like in those earlier years, it is this reconciling of the the reality versus the expectation and the ideals. Mm -hmm. That's a big part. So it's like termed matrescence, right? That becoming of a mother. And there's some key tasks that we do in this developmental stage of our life. And one of those is having to reconcile our ideals with the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another really big pain point I find that comes up in my like DMs all the time is the adjustment that our relationship goes through that totally blindsides us questions like we haven't had sex and I'm six months postpartum. And is anyone else in a sexless marriage? Does nobody want to be touched anymore? Um, like just so many relational things. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we expect our relationship to go through such an overhaul during this time. Um, no one really talks about that. I don't think in, in the real way that it happens, and that's that's a big pain point as well, well. Even you just saying this, I'm realizing I don't think I've ever had a pointed discussion on sex after childbirth. And like, I mean, in the years after, you know, yeah. from starting out when you're just getting back into it and you're dealing with pain possibly. And then right. just possibly the stress and exhaustion from raising kids and having sex left less because that can wreak havoc on for me, it would it wrecks havoc on my life if we're ever less because I need to be shown that I'm desired mm. and that I am loved. Yeah. In in that way, right? Like touch my love language 100%. And if it's lagging, I think, you know, this might be the root of all my postpartum rage, Erica. <laughs> If when not it ever enough <laughs> sex or too much. It's not interesting enough. how this is so subjective. Yeah. Because um, some people report an increased desire for sex with their partner or that they are the initiator, mm-hmm. right? Um, I actually have a whole workshop on this. It's really cool. It's got lots of inventories that have you rate your desire versus your partner's desire. And you can see where you are in terms of what frequency you would like. And if you have thoughts, how likely are you to act on them? How frequently do you think about sexual intimacy Mm -hmm. or physical intimacy? Because each couple is so different. And a lot of what I hear is about like 20% of moms are like the initiators, but the other 80% is usually their partners are initiating and they're either feeling touched out or overstimulated or tired, and it might not be their love language. So there is a whole uh, sort of like you know, plethora of different frequencies and arrangements. And it doesn't really matter what another couple is doing. The key piece here is that you and your partner have had a conversation about the amount of desire Mm -hmm. or the frequency that would work for both of you that you would be happy with, right? Communication. Even, Even when you're boning, it's just all communication. Sorry for yeah. the uh, crude, the crude <laughs> language there. <laughs> it's been a long it's one. True. It is. Um, and now, Erica, the last thing I want to ask about is happiness as mothers, right? I know there's no formula. And just like each couple's relationship is subjective to them, happiness is so subjective to everybody, especially yeah. mothers. But are there – is there anything that you might tell somebody or that you kind of always go to? If somebody's saying, like, I just, I need to find happiness, I need to find a sense of calm, whatever, how do I do this? Like, what mm-hmm. what would you say to them? 
somebody asked a question in a in the polls I was doing on Instagram on the weekend, and I have them ask an anonymous question, and then the community rates yes or no to it. And the question was, are you happy? Or are you happy as a mother? Mm-hmm. Like, are you happy in motherhood? Are you happy as a mom? And I didn't share it because I feel like that is such a trap. Mm-hmm. We are such like complex human beings. And just because I might have an unhappy moment in motherhood, or I might, I might feel like if these kids don't freaking get themselves in bed, I'm going to pull my hair out. <laughs> I might have a moment like that. Mm-hmm. But then it might be followed by another moment that has joy and snuggles. And so it is not just this like linear track upwards to happiness. Uh, And I think it's important to put that out there. Like if we're experiencing a hard moment in motherhood, it doesn't mean that we weren't meant to be mothers. It doesn't mean that we are not satisfied in motherhood or we should like hit return and like, you know, (laughs) who decided we should go on this path? How do we like, you know, delete whatever. So So happiness, I don't know if happiness is the goal. Now, if we are not enjoying or having moments of enjoyment and fulfillment in motherhood, then that does raise some red flags for me, right? Mm -hmm. Not all of it is going to be joy. Not all of it is going to feel satisfying. But if we're really resenting our role, we really feel like we're stuck in, in darkness and we're not seeing any light. We're not having any joy. We're feeling really bogged down Mm -hmm. and that's lasting beyond just a moment or a day. Then I would really encourage you to see somebody or speak to your doctor about it because we're likely dealing with something beyond just you know, dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. And and there are supports. And again, for the listeners, check out Happy as a Mother because I know you outline these supports so much. And like Erica, yeah. where can people go to find you online, find your website, everything that you do? Yeah, I'm Happy as a Mother on Instagram and Facebook, happyasamother.co, my website, podcast, Happy as a Mother on Apple or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And yeah, I mostly hang out on Instagram and we've got all kinds of resources. We've got the wellness center, free podcasts, free resources and downloads. Um, just trying to make meaning out of my own experience and want to, <laughs> and, and want to, you know, not have moms know and understand they are not alone in the hardships that they're going through. Absolutely. And may I say amazing name for a mental health for mothers platform happy as a mother and the fact that that was open and you got it like genius thank you i love it i like a little sass with like a little you know i think that it's, i think it's fun. <laughs> no, it's so good and uh you mentioned a book you're writing a book proposal what is going on with this what can we keep our eyes open for Oh, the publishing world moves at a snail pace compared to the (laughs) digital world. So I'll actually like our mommy rage course will be coming out in January, a book that I, you know, am in the process of um, finalizing won't be until like, you know, 2022, early Mm -hmm. 23. So publishing world is slow as molasses so it's in the works but it will be quite some time yet oh so exciting regardless and before i let you go one more thing i got to compliment you on other than the genius name your glasses where did you get them (laughs) i've been staring at them for a lot of this interview where are they from i get this question so much and i have to tell you i think they're like 20 dollars glasses from is it like zulu or (laughs) zulo or whatever they always like advertise to me on instagram 
Yes. They're like cheapies, but I get lots of compliments on them. Oh, I love them. I absolutely Thanks. love them. But <laughs> Erica, I'll let you go with that one. It was so nice meeting you in person, by the way. And it, I'm so happy we got to sit down again now. But thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hell yeah. Take care, eh? Hopefully again soon. Alrighty. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Well, Shane, that was it. That was happy as a mother. That was Erica. Great job. And thank you. No, I mean, Erica did a good job. (laughs) I thought you were commending my vulnerability in the interview. So vulnerable, so wonderful, so beautiful. I know a lot of people can't see Alex, but she looks great (laughs) today in her new $160 Grateful Dead t-shirt that I bought her because I felt guilty because she had to do all the work pretty much for the sleepover that we threw for Lucy even though you ended up giving me a ton of credit for doing something during that sleepover, even though I felt like I didn't do anything. And then when I gave you the shirt, I was like, why am I doing this? Because I'm getting a lot of credit for the sleepover where I thought I wasn't going to get any credit and would need the t-shirt to be a gift. (laughs) Well, I think giving me the t-shirt and coming home at a a time where I felt like your presence kind of saved me from losing and my, my mind. And my present then, that I gave you saved me. Well, your present, it you know, I think it just totally softened me. No, the, here's the thing. I gave you the present the next day. And you were already praising me for how much I helped out with the sleepover. Well, I was just trying to make you feel good. And you're welcome. And I'm so glad you got me this shirt because I wear it every day after work. It's my favorite new shirt. I felt weird giving you the shirt because I had already gotten so much adulation. And I bought it as like, a, oh, forgive me. <laughs> And then you were like, Shane, you were amazing at that sleepover. You're the best dad and gave Lucy the time of her life. I'm like, really? I feel like shit. Like I felt like I did nothing and you had to break your back to move a mattress. It's true. And totally set everything up. And I couldn't think what I did. But it was one of those weird moments in life. And it happens from time to time where you don't do a lot, but you get a lot of praise from either a boss or a coworker or it just happens sometimes in life. And it was that moment, and it has never happened with you and I, but that was a moment where you brought it up like five times. You're like, but seriously, we have to talk about you and how great you were yesterday. (laughs) Like, okay. Okay. When you were gone, because you had a work thing to do, right? So when you were gone, was I cursing your name the entire time without taking a breath from it uh, while I was getting ready for the sleepover? I was at a photo shoot, too, <laughs> which is the most annoying work, air quote, thing to be doing while you're actually doing grueling stuff for a sleepover. Yeah. And, and yes, I, I was cursing your name every millisecond that you were gone. And then when I called you, because it was like two hours after the time that you anticipated you were going to be home. I was like, hey, uh, Shane, uh, baby, uh, you come back sometime soon? Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sweating over here. Like, I do some help. It wasn't like, hey, Shaney, baby, <laughs> where are you? It was like, Shane, where are you? I just had to move a fucking mattress by myself. I was not that witchy, okay? I, I was have it not. on film. I was not that witchy. Did you know I was being videotaped while I was on the phone No, but okay. listen to it. Let's watch the video because I was not being that witchy. But that's why were you being filmed? 
because we were recording a promotional video at the time. And I was like, oh, I got a call. Alex is just getting jelly beans for a sleepover. It's like, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> I love you too, babe. And then I just kind of walked away. I heard you as you were hanging up. You're, you're like, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. And you made like some silly joke. You have to or else people are thinking we're going to go get a divorce or something. Anyway, it was because I had just finished moving our king-size mattress from our room into the kids room alone but it's not like a stiff like regular mattress that's actually easy to maneuver because even with two people babe we can barely do the turnaround that you have to do every six months it's like gumby a little bit it'll punch you in the face and then it'll hop back into the room where you tried to drag it from well it's one of those mattresses in a box right like it's nd casper we have a lisa so it's one of those so it's really floppy like she didn't say gumby well it it starts in a small box and then Mm -hmm. it expands to this large size so it's malleable to an extent but if you don't have two people it's it's hell oh my god maneuver oh my gosh so yeah it was tough but then when you came home it was because at that call you're like i don't know i'll be home in an hour but you were home a half hour after that call and that made the biggest difference to me because i was like hey an hour that only gives us, you know, 10 minutes till sleepover time until Lucy's cousin comes over. But a half hour gave us 40 minutes. And for some reason, that made all the difference. It totally made me felt feel relief. And even though I was like, that giant SOB is going to take an hour. When you walked in, all those washed away. And I felt great. And then I was super happy to praise you coming home at the time. That was earlier than you said you would. Yeah, that's all to say. This is the mailbag segment. Now, this <laughs> is the segment where Alex takes listener questions, researches them, and comes back with the answers. I'm along for the ride, and sometimes I might throw in some sense to yeah. make to make change. Some sense. I like it. Uh, first question, what's been the pit and the peak of your week? Pit and peak. Okay, and this peak. was a tough one. Peak. It seems like the sketch show is moving along, like might get a good season of a sketch show, which is a bit of a dream of mine. So that's a peak. The pit was pretty much everything else. Like, <laughs> it was tough. You you had a tough week at work. It was dealing with personalities, talking people off ledges. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's tough. It can be tough. Yeah, my, my pit was definitely just the work week. And like Shane said, dealing with different personalities. And the peak was dealing with that because i solving the problems that you had that yeah that felt amazing and confronting people that i needed to and working things out with them and actually all that being a positive experience uh felt amazing except i have a stress rash that developed around my neck like Mm -hmm. all around my neck you're obsessed with it i get a stress rash like every other day I like I, my <laughs> lips will break out like crazy. And... No, I never get this. And it's like it's driving me nuts because even though the problems are gone, the rash remains. Shane. When you keep touching it. Because it's itchy. I know you're new to rashes, stress rashes, <laughs> but don't touch them. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Anyway. Lay off. Next question. What is your routine like with the kids during the week? The morning routine. The morning routine is split between Shane and I because Shane's working from home and I leave for the day with Lou. So I'll wake up at 6. Lucy usually wakes up between 6 and 6.30 and then she sits in the bathroom with me while I throw on my makeup. And then we go downstairs. I give her breakfast while I get changed. I get her changed as she's watching Encanto 
And then we're out of the house by like 20 after 7, and in which time Shane goes up to get Betty out of bed. And then what, what do you guys do until Nona gets here? Nona's been coming early. Sweet. So usually I'll get Betty's food ready for her, get Nona a coffee. Nona will feed Betty because there's a hierarchy. So if no one else is here, Betty likes me. If Nona's here, Betty doesn't want to even look at me and she will like literally slap me in the face and say, no, Nona only talks to me. You just like get stuff for Nona to give to me. So yeah, it's more of a, I pass things to Nona and Nona will feed Betty. I get, I get Nona coffee. Then I start my day like at eight, I go into my office and pretty much start. Mm -hmm. Whereas I used to hang around and help out more when the children would have more respect for me, <laughs> but they love Nona so much. It's they lose like the love that goes to Nona. It's like, it's like there's a finite amount of mm -hmm. love and the more that goes to Nona, the less that they can like me. Well, it is like that for kids. Like they have, not that they have a finite amount of love, but Lucy sometimes has a hard time understanding how she could love so many people. And she'll ask me, she'll be like, mommy, who do you love? And I'll start listing everybody in the family and friends. And she goes, no, you can only love one other person. That has to be me. And I'm like, no, Lucy, you can love lots of people. And she goes, but I only love Betty or I only love Nona or something like that. And uh, daddy ever get in the mixer? Yeah. Hmm. Daddy does get in the mixer. Yeah. Well, after but what I just said, you think you throw me a bone <laughs> there. Well, it's mostly like Nona gotcha. that she says. Uh, all right, next But question. weekend morning routine is a little bit different because Nona doesn't come. True. So I get to be the rock star in the morning because you wake up whenever. And then mm -hmm. at 7, I come out while well, you sleep from 7 a.m. till 9 a.m. Yeah. And during that time, like today, we were trying to make pancakes or weird concoctions. <laughs> and we change into a million outfits and we play a million games. <laughs> we watch a weird YouTube video that about children's encanto toys yeah so we'll watch like six minute videos on encanto toys being played with then we'll go play with toys and pretend they're encanto toys and we'll dress betty up or i'll dress up and it's it's a fun time when <laughs> you know you're missing that feeling like you're loved mm -hmm. weekends are when i feel like i'm loved from that seven to nine period then you come out and the hierarchy switches because then you're the most loved parent and then today we went to oakville to see nona and Kids hated both of us equally. Yeah. It's, and it, it looks really <laughs> it bad, too, because we're walking around Oakville, <laughs> which is kind of like a richer neighborhood, it's I posh, guess, or wealthy, yeah. posh neighborhood. Not that we are rich or wealthy. It's just we're in that area. That's where they live. They have mm -hmm. a you know, modest, nice condo up there, but they're not living large. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But we're walking on streets. We're very judgmental. Rich people have their nose up in the air a little bit. They're pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> and they see Nona holding Lucy's hand, who's three, and ho literally holding Betty. And Nona's in her mid-60s. And she's like five foot nothing. And I'm just like this six foot, seemingly healthy man walking <laughs> next to her. And they're like, why don't you carry the baby? And I'm just thinking... Well, you don't think I tried that? I cannot carry the baby because the baby will jump out of my <laughs> arms, punch me in the face and cry. And she's only calm when Nona is carrying her. Yeah. So it's a humiliating exercise walking with Nona because I look like the least gentlemanly man in the world. 
No, it was frustrating. And I felt terrible because Nona's like, uh, Alex, Shane, can one of you take Betty? I think I'm starting to feel something in my back. Yeah. And it's like, no, Nona's dying. Her back is just killing her. And she's dying to get rid of this like toddler that she's walking around with. Mm-hmm. Betty's not a baby anymore. Yeah. Like and- the plates in my back are moving. And we just, she doesn't talk like that, by the way. she's She talks like a woman who's very young. But she's walking up steps. And, I know. Oh. I know. Nona's jacked also, I got to say that, just from carrying around these Mm -hmm. toddlers. But anyway, next question. Do you think that the only way to make good TV these days is to make reboots? No, absolutely not. And I know Ben Affleck was just talking about this in an interview. And he, Shane, you might know the term because you are pretentious when it comes to movies. The Howard Stern interview? Yeah, but what what is the term when it's like... um, intellectual property yes ip he said i don't want to make any more ip movies i'm done with that because there's so much expectation that comes with them and he's like yes there's a built-in fan base but i'd rather do something new something that's creative like he was relating it to uh the movie what was the one we've talked about on the pod before with matt damon and adam driver oh that's the last duel the last duel because he liked that but it flopped at the box office and he's like but then look any marvel movie will go and make tons of money but he was saying how he's he's done with those ip movies the ones that just that means they just get redone right like repurposed i guess yes there's a built-in audience and Mm -hmm. there's a math equation that's done with studios and they say we're going to invest this much and we're definitely going to make this amount and if we don't it's a huge considered a huge failure and even if we make a little bit above the amount we invested that's still a failure they want to do gangbusters whereas a new movie the odds of it being a hit are significantly lower not to say that it's a bad film but the audience just probably won't flock out to see it unless this weird word of mouth thing happens which really seems to happen with movies that don't have a large budget because Mm -hmm. the less budget you have the more risk you can take and actually have an original story like a reservoir dogs for example or something that bubbles below the surface and then ends up making a lot of money but studios don't want to put a lot of money into something that isn't a guaranteed or likely to be a guaranteed money maker but a lot of good stuff is all the best stuff i think is original it's just what you have to do is have a very low budget and be reasonable and the story has to be the star and not the special effects Mm -hmm. like in like even sci-fi movies like a movie like moon with sam rockwell that's david bowie's undirected that by the way I didn't know that. Yeah. That's an incredible movie. Um, Yeah, he has a strange name, though. I can't think of it right now. Um, But his budget was very low on that. Mm -hmm. But he ended up making it back because it was a very cool story. Well, you think about, you know, because this is asking about shows, too, not movies. And I think about the shows that did the best. And I mean, like, you know, if we're talking gangbusters, the best. I think they were original. I mean, as a whole, probably the ones that are like Marvel Universe type things did the best. But Squid Game is the biggest show to ever be watched on Netflix. And that's original. Yeah, they went through a heck of a time. That was in development for years, like Mm -hmm. I think over a decade. And then there was a lull in things coming out because of COVID. And then they were just like, we have to do this right now. And then it ended up paying off. And there's usually a story behind a movie that slips through the cracks that wasn't something that had a known IP. 
Yeah, well, Squid and Squid Game such a weird concept, such a crazy concept. You really have to go for it, and and they did right. And now it's going through a thing where people are trying to recreate Squid yeah. Game. In fact, my friend John Popolis, uh, he submitted a script that got rejected uh, about eight months ago, or maybe to eight, Netflix over over a year ago. But now they've come back to him because Squid Game was successful, and his script is kind of like Squid Game. Oh, wow! That now they're coming back and probably going to make it. So wait, he submitted it to Netflix, though? Before Squid Game came out. Wow. Then Squid Game came out, and they're like, oh, that's like Squid Game. Let's make it now. That's nuts. So this happened with Tarantino Reservoir Dogs, too. All these movies came out that were Tarantino-esque. Like, mm. what's the one you like, Boondock Saints? And oh, yeah, yeah. There was a ton of movies like that. No, for and sure. And they were trying to actually have an indie feel. Even movies mm. with big budget were trying to add some Tarantino-esque language to them. Mm-hmm. I feel like same with uh, like Guy Ritchie movies. And whatnot, like Lockstock and oh, yeah. All yeah, those Snatch. benefited from the Tarantino effect. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on. What age should you give kids chores? Should they get pocket money? So before, like, I looked this up and I was looking at, like, the pros and the cons, what experts say. But what, what's your take on it, Shane? I'll give the expert take after. Sorry, I was looking at my phone because your dad just messaged me how, liked, how much he liked one of our reels. Oh. <laughs> It's like, I'm laughing my head off, but sorry, continue. Sorry, well, what reel did he like? Now I got to know. The one where we're Kanye and uh, whoever his girlfriend Julia is. Julia Fox. Yeah, he says, I'm really laughing my head at off, and so is Lorna. Thanks for sharing. We were sitting at a jazz bar in Savannah, Georgia, and I wouldn't have seen this until tomorrow if it weren't for you. Hope all is well with, and that's just what died. <laughs> yeah, that's like, oh. Well, there you go. We're here oh, with the parents. it's from a person named Margo. This is a screen share. Oh. So Margo messaged your dad this, and then he responded to it. So Margo, she follows us, but she works with my dad. She's my dad's coworker, but she follows the tree. She listens to the pod. She's yeah. a fan. Yeah. And now, now I just feel, uh, I feel happy. I feel like my head just got a little bit big for a second. Anyway, Shane, what age should kids get chores, and should they get pocket change for it, pocket money? ASAP. Like, start building those fundamental things so kids feel responsible. They feel mm-hmm. glad that they did a task, and they f- know what it's like to be rewarded for doing something, too. Yeah. Whether if- it's, like, internal reward or an external one, I just think creating good habits young can never be a bad thing. No, I I, th- I agree. And even this morning, Lucy making the breakfast, like she was making her pancakes, right? She was, you know, as much as she could. But then she sees the work that goes into it in order to enjoy the yummy pancakes and that it takes work, that it takes cleanup, all of that. And I think, and this is before we get to what the experts say, but I think that giving your kids pocket money, right, or chore money, it also teaches them the, how quick money can go because Lucy will ask for something 50 times a day. Oh, mommy, I need the green Barbie or I need the Encanto toy, whatever. And I'll say, Lucy, those things cost money. And she goes, well, you and daddy work for money. And I said, yeah, but we also need money to pay for the food, to pay for the house, to pay for the heat. And I think if kids are going into you know the dollar store and buying penny candies or whatever, I don't know if you can still buy penny candies, but they can see how quickly their money goes and learn to either save up for something they really want and just like kid level budgeting. But I think it's awesome. Because if you don't, you end up like me and you never learn how to do anything. And then people are making (laughs) reels of your incompetence or whatever. And they're going viral. It's like, your husband is terrible. (laughs) 
and it's I, I I can't be scrutinized at all. I'm so embarrassed to do a task in front of everyone that I have a fear of doing them at all mm-hmm. unless the house is like completely empty. <laughs> then I'm like, oh, I can do all these tasks, get them done, and then I can be complimented for the end result and not criticized for the process, which is probably a little unusual right. to people who are witnessing it. So I looked this up and, you know, you can, like Shane said, start your kids super young like kids younger than two you know from one and two get them to help pick up their toys to clean up a mess if you give betty a wet paper towel she will start cleaning baseboards she's great with windows too she loves it yeah but you know they can help make the bed when they're like two and up they can put laundry in the hamper they can help you feed the pets wipe up messes dust things just little stuff like that to just get them involved and show them that taking care of a house is a family job otherwise your house looks like ours because nobody has done anything today which happens right you get busy it happens we're one having day fun we will clean it one day maybe not today <laughs> well definitely not today definitely not tomorrow but soonish 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 yeah. but yeah the experts also said that you know there are pros and cons to it some people say well then they won't learn intrinsic motivation if you give them money for it but then experts say but kids can then learn the relationship between work and pay and they can realize the value of non-essentials and how to spend their money in that kind of way but they also said and i really love this aspect of it uh i read a few articles on the benefit of saying okay like you know this is your chore money just say you get ten dollars but this one dollar So 10% of it, we are going to donate to a cause and you get to pick the cause. And then you can kind of ingrain, you know, being charitable into your kids learning about money at a really young age and teach them the importance of that, about helping others. And I think that is so good too. And, you know, our kids aren't getting any money at this point. They're so young. But I think that's something I definitely want to do. I really love that. What's a good allowance, you think, number? We, when I was a kid, we did check marks and X's. So for every time you did something around the house and helped out, you got a check mark. And every time you did something bad, you got an X. And then you had to weigh out your check marks and X's at the end of the week. And for the amount of check marks you got, that's how much money you'd get. Okay. But how much? I say I'd get between five and $15. What's the most you ever made in a week? Probably 15 bucks. I can't okay. see myself ever making more than so that. So that was what, 20 years ago? Or? Yeah. Now, what would be the equivalent? The same. I'd still do the same. Oh, it doesn't change. It doesn't go up. Just no way. Like I, I'd still keep it between you know five and fifteen. Like it, wow. it can't be like picking up a little thing, a check mark you have to get for doing something. I know it just seems like the amount of money would go up due to inflation, but it seems like you lived in the glory days, and it's like, well, th- those times are over. I think my parents were pretty well off, so they were mm. probably overpaying me. Oh, okay. <laughs> So this keeps it equal. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Okay. So our next question, and this is interesting because I didn't know really anything about this, but I was. this person says, I was reading about Arnold Schwarzenegger and his affair and the child that they had as a result of the affair. Do you know anything about this affair? Yeah, with the nanny and he's kind of a ripped big dude. I didn't son, know anything you might expect. about this. I didn't know he had an affair with the nanny. Yeah, and he actually has a good relationship with the the child. Everyone has an if you're famous and you have a nanny, you have an affair with her and you have a child with her. Just some <laughs> you're shocked by this? Jude Law did it. No, he didn't. Yeah. He was with Sienna Miller and <gasps> Nanny. You're like, you didn't know that? 
He cheated and on Sienna, Sienna Miller. Sienna Miller started out as the nanny. That's how she got in acting. What? I'm kidding about that, but uh, let's just see how <laughs> gullible Alice can be. No, yeah, he was with the nanny. It was a big thing. You didn't know Jude Law was with the nanny? What an a You have data on your phone, right? He's off my Hawkeye list now. That's it. No more Jude Law f- f- fanaticism Posters from old Alex here. <laughs> oh, that's depressing. Anyway. You didn't know that was a thing with nannies? No, well, yeah, like a trope, but I didn't he know started, Jude He started, he made Law it popular. It. It, nannies was like his popular. perfume. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, and apparently he loved the way she smelled too. The person goes on to say that yes, like you mentioned, he has a great relationship with his son and all his kids for that matter. But his kids from his wife, Arnold's wife, ex-wife, they don't have a relationship with the son from the nanny. And she said, I find it really sad. I don't agree with the affair. But do you think that as you get older, you'd be able to have a relationship with that sibling that was the result of an affair that your parent had? How would you handle it? And Honestly, I think it would be super tough, but I I was reading into it because I didn't know. So this was 20 years ago that the affair happened and then it came out in 2011. So I'm 10 years behind on this piece of news. But Maria Shriver, she filed for divorce after this revelation came out because it came out in a family therapy session. Arnold admitted it. And then I guess it blew the therapy session up and then Maria filed for divorce like the next day. But it would be really tough so as a kid i just think about my own childhood every time my parents would argue and it wasn't often but which made it more jarring i guess mm-hmm. i'd like start crying and be like i don't want you guys to get a divorce and i'd like go into their argument and be like stop yelling don't divorce you know probably making things worse did you have a nanny did not have a nanny. I hate that. I hate the nanny thing. That's so terrible. It could have been like a Tony Danza-esque nanny. I don't know what that mom, means. Tony Danza's a man. He was on a show called Who's the Boss? Yeah. Where he was the oh, he's housekeeper. Hot? Yeah, he's ripped man. And your your mom could have gotten with him. Sorry. I hate rich men. Anyway. Wait, 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 wait. What was I saying? Oh, but yeah. So I, I was scared of divorce. So if my parents did divorce because one of my parents had an affair and had a child with the nanny, honestly, I would have a very hard time. I would hope that because we were siblings, blood related, we'd have some kind of relationship. But I honestly think it would be very hard because I would just associate that person with a really traumatic thing in my life could you be friends with a serial killer's son or daughter yeah because unless the serial killer like killed somebody in my family and it was traumatic for me personally Mm -hmm. but their son or daughter didn't do anything wrong right just like this the the product of the affair didn't do anything wrong but i think if it was my parents it would just be a constant reminder of that really shitty thing that i went through it depends and it's going to be different for everybody and what they can handle but i think it would be very hard for me yeah. what about you yeah they didn't do anything i'm cool with it i, I just want to get to know my brother <laughs> but i think for me though it it would be different than a sibling because although they are related to you by blood it's it's a little bit different right i don't know it's nature versus nurture that's a good test i would want to see how good they were at ping pong see what <laughs> It'd be very fun for me. 
<laughs> I have divorced parents though too. So once that ice was broken and your biggest fear maybe was realized, I realized it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Staying together is often worse. Yeah. No, we, we made a TikTok about that actually speaking of our good TikTok. And it, it does have 2 million views yeah. on TikTok. If you have TikTok, go to TikTok.com and type in this family tree in the search bar section <laughs> and you can follow us. And no, it's 2 million views and it's all uh, not people saying, oh my gosh, what a hilarious skit in the comment section. It's all people debating the merits of either divorce or staying together unhappily. Whatever feeds the algorithm works for me. And let's end it there. But folks, go give us five stars. Go give us a comment. Not saying you have to. I am. You have to. Feed the algorithm. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 118.